Thank you for that. Hey, we are in part three of a series called Things We Have to Unlearn, right? Because when you came to Jesus, your head was full of mush. You don't know that, but it was full of mush. And you have to unlearn things so that you can learn to be in the kingdom. Because the kingdom isn't something that's going to happen when you die and you got your ticket and you go to heaven. That's a misconception. The moment you gave your life to Christ, you entered into the kingdom of God. And therefore, God is training us right now to live in the kingdom. So we have to unlearn some things. Now, you know, two weeks ago we talked about uh, attitude towards circumstances and how that needs to change. And last week was attitude towards others and how that has to change. Today, it's going to be an attitude towards yourself, but... Uh, Jesus is going to take a, a backdoor approach. But before we get there, I, I just want you to pretend for a moment that you go to the ice cream store, and uh, maybe Baskin Robbins, maybe Cold Stone Creamery, and they give you a choice. For the same amount of money, they give you a choice. Would you rather have that size scoop, or would you rather have this size scoop? And what size would you choose? Uh, wow. Is he being honest? Okay, lactose intolerance. I'll put, we'll pray for you. Now, let's change the scenario. Let's flip the script. You're the owner of the ice cream store. Which scoop do you want to use? Right? Isn't that always the way it is? You know, our sinful nature comes so packaged so well that we struggle with selfishness and pride. Can you say yes to that? Yes. Uh, we do. And you want to take the advantage in every situation, in your marriage, in your neighborhood, at your job, wherever you are, if your sinful nature has full reign, you want to take advantage of the situation. And so I asked you, which, which scoop do you want to use? And I, I knew what you were going to say. I, I really did. Uh, but when you come to Christ, that has to change. We have to have this attitude adjustment. And the text today, like I said, is going to be a backdoor approach to this. Because Jesus could have just said in the Sermon on the Plain, stop being selfish and stop being prideful. And this happens all the time out in, in our, our world. In fact, this week, Tammy and I, we accidentally left our garage door open. Yeah. So some tools are missing, you know, and things are missing. Why? We live in a fallen world. Can I say it? And we have a sinful nature. And guess what? When you come to Christ, he starts changing that. And that's why it is so important that we understand this message today because he's really talking to us. Now, he's going to tell us uh, really about mercy. And when he says, be merciful, and you think you want to complete the stage, be merciful to others. And you think, well, this is about a sermon about other people. No, that's why I said, we're going to backdoor this idea of mercy. Because if you think about it, mercy is the direct opposite of pride and selfishness. Mercy is the exact opposite of our sinful nature. And, and at first glance, that's what it looks like. But the root of it really is in your heart. So that's where we're going to go today. Because when you're merciful, when you're merciful, you're actually thinking about the other person, aren't you? And when you're merciful, you're actually releasing your rights to the person that maybe doesn't deserve mercy, right? So let's get to our text. 
Luke chapter 6, we're going to pick it up at verse 36. And you're like, wait, that's not the division in my Bible. You can't do that. Yes, I can. And so can you. In fact, it's interesting if you were to strip out all those headings and read a letter, the epistles especially, you'd maybe walk away with a little different flavor. And so I challenge you to do that. But really, I think verse 36 is talking about the four things that Jesus is going to talk about. Two negative, two positive. But let's pick it up verse 36. He says this, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, whatever size scoop you have, will be measured back to you. And he told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, nor it, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take out the log of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of your heart, or of course it says, of the heart, your mouth speaks or his mouth speaks. Now, here's the very first fill in the blank. It's obvious. It, it says to be merciful. Be merciful. And people in the kingdom are to be merciful because our king is merciful. And it's really interesting, this, this word in the original language, it's an exclamation word. It's the word, oi! You want to say that? It's fun to say, oi, oi. And then the, the second half of the word is, it's a weird because it's, it's like katermam. Oi, katermam. And what that is translates, oh, pity. That's what it means. It's, an, it's a conjunction of two words. It's an exclamation word with the word pity. Oh, pity is what he's saying. And Jesus is going to lay out these two negatives and two positive traits for us to kind of understand and things that we have to unlearn from the world that really deal with your heart, your heart. And it's, so let's look at the very first one. Here's the next fill in the blank. He says this, go back to the verse, judge not and you will not be judged. And that is merciful people do not judge. Are you with me on that? Now, the word means to make a legal rendering. It can mean, in fact, there are so many, so many different shades of, of meaning. The context really has to drive it in, in this language. But basically, you're not to render a legal judgment towards a person because you're not God. And you might think you know the standards of God, which we do have, 
So I'm going to address that in a second, but we are not to place ourselves in a position of judging. It's a judgmental spirit is really, it's a judgmental attitude, let me say it that way. Now, it's also interesting that the word discernment, ah, that's where we really want to go to today. Discernment is the same word, but it has a prefix in front of it. And it means not only to judge, but to judge through. Isn't that weird? Discernment means to judge through. It means that you can separate the good and the bad correctly. You have discernment. You have wisdom. You can look at the situation and understand it without having a judgmental spirit. Because to judge means to render a legal verdict, right? Discernment means to judge through, which means you understand what's going on, and you have the discernment to know what to do in that situation. It's kind of like, how many of you ever had to shuck corn? Do you, anybody? Yeah. Okay. And what do you, okay, sometimes you shuck corn on the farm and you just deal with whatever corn you, uh, ear you have. But when you go to the store and you don't want to buy a wormy one, what do you do? You look at it, and if it's wormy, what do you do? Right? <laughs> that, that, we're honest, right? You're not obligated to buy wormy corn, but that's discernment. You're stripping back, you're looking at the facts, and you're like, okay, I understand. I'm separating out. I have discernment. Are kernels missing? Is it wormy? Or when you pick or choose peaches or avocados, what do you do? You kind of do the squeeze test. What are you doing? You're showing discernment, right? So the, this judgment that Jesus is talking about is a judgmental spirit that is based in unmercy, if, you, if that's a word, or self-righteousness, prejudiced, somebody that has to push other people down to build themselves up. Are you with me? And that's, so Jesus says, judge not. Do not render a legal verdict. You, you don't have that right. You're not in that position. But that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to be discerning because th this is so typical of the world. You can shake your head with me if you want to, but you don't have to. But it's just like um, abortion is wrong. Stop judging me. Wait a second. I'm not judging you. I'm discerning the facts. Are you with me on that? And so you have to be really careful because the world will throw its fingers at the church and tell you to stop judging. And it's like, I'm sorry, folks. If you're a follower of Christ, you're going to follow this. This is what determines the facts of the matter, not your righteousness. And so discernment really has to tie into the word of God. Are you with me on that? That's why we have to know the word of God so we understand the difference between right and wrong. Not the right and wrong of our culture, but the right and wrong of living in the kingdom. Because if a person robs a bank, he's a bank robber, right? So actions can be examined, but we're not in the position of judging hearts. That, that's God's parameter. But we can say a ball's a ball and a strike's a strike. Are you with me? But we don't determine the outcome of the game. <gasps> oh, we can call balls and strikes, but we don't call the game. 
And so that's the big difference. And so we have to be wise and, and not have a judgmental attitude of superiority, especially, because that's what the church is always accused of. So we'll go back to the text. It says, judge not, and you will not be judged. And then it says, condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Here's the fill in the blank. If you've already seen the, the sequence, it's merciful people don't condemn. When you condemn people, you are inherently saying, I have the right to to." to give a legal verdict here. I have the right to pass down judgment. And I really think condemnation has its, its roots in, a, in having a critical spirit. And, and again, why do people have critical spirit? We don't know. The psychology of man is, is beyond comprehension. But there's all sorts of reasons that might lend itself to it. Maybe you grew up and your parents criticized you and you think that's the way the world that's something you have to unlearn we can't have a critical spirit if we're going to be a follower of christ we can have a discerning spirit but not a critical spirit or a fault-finding spirit because maybe maybe you're it's your boss or your co-worker or the waitress or a store clerk or even your kid messed up offended you sinned against you and to be merciful means you don't condemn them for it doesn't mean you sweep it under the rug. Oh, you were sexually abused? It's no big deal. Yes, it is a big deal. But God will do the condemning. Now, we talked about that last week. Vengeance is, is the Lord's. And so when we do tend to, to judge people's hearts and motives based, based on our imperfectness, we're going we're gonna to err. And you know what? That boomerang is going to come right back to us. That's what Jesus said. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Little scoop of, because we all have condemnation. We, we, you know, we, we think we don't, but we do. Would you be honest enough to admit that? And so, but our goal is to go from that scoop to this scoop on the condemnation that we serve out. And some of us, as we talked about last week, have been so hurt, it's hard. And with the power of Christ living in you, you have the, Ability now to surrender and, and leave that condemnation. Because in Christ, what does Romans say? There is no condemnation for those who are in what? Christ Jesus. They're Christ Jesus. And so judging people by your standard is not only wrong and harmful, uh, it will come back to bite you, won't it? It will come back to bite you. Um, discerning people by God's standard is helpful because we have his standard but again that's discernment that's discernment so number one don't have a judgmental attitude jesus says uh don't can have a condemning spirit and number three or number c is this merciful people now we're going to go to the positive side merciful people forgive they forgive having a forgiving heart and guess what others forgive you I mean, it, it, it's the classic what you sow, you will reap kind of thing. And if you are a forgiving person, that's going to come back to you, he says. And it's really a follow-up to the golden rule that's in the, the previous uh, text that we, we did. And that is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you want to be forgiven, then you start forgiving, right? Do you, do you realize that the word uh, forgive literally means to send away. So I love, I love the concept of forgive because 
the word give is actually in it, isn't it? You forgive, which means that you send away the offense. You send it away, and you're giving it away so you're not holding on to it. I think it's a beautiful way the, the word all works together. And then you're giving them freedom from their punishment, right? And so mercy, as you know, is not to receive what you've earned, what you deserve. And forgive is just a beautiful thing. And then merciful people give. That's the next fill in the blank. Merciful people give. Merciful people are not takers. Merciful people are compassionate for the ills of others. We're tender-hearted uh, to give help to those in need. And we have to get over this. And as our world continues to crumble, how many of you have noticed that our homeless population in Las Cruces is increasing? You know, and I, I'll be honest with you, I struggle with that. And this is, Jesus is just beelining it right to me. He's like this up, he's going like this to me right now. Because it says, merciful people give. And we help those that are in need. And I can come up with a thousand and one excuses why not to give to the person that has deserved their circumstances. You probably did drugs and your mind's fried, so that's why you can't hold a job. Maybe you did something and your family kicked you out. And you can come up with all, but you know, in the text, Jesus doesn't say anything about conditions. He says the merciful give. And who am I to then to judge? And I know people were gonna take advantage of me, and people have taken advantage of you. Say amen to that. Amen. They have. But what does Jesus say about it? His condition isn't that. His condition is this. Give and it will be given back to you. It will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured back into your lap. For with the measure you use, it's going to be measured back to you. And this is a real thing in my life because I grew up with the mentality of you got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, right? We're Americans. We're self-reliant. We don't need any foreign aid. We don't. And you know what? That is not Christ-like. I hate to say it, but there are things in Americana that are not <laughs> in, in the kingdom or in the Bible. And we have to say, wait, the merciful give. Well, they made bad choices. They made bad decisions. They made bad choices. So I don't have to give. Did you see that in the text anywhere? That we have that mercy, again, is not getting the consequences of your actions that you deserve. So, you know, when you hand that fiver, and I don't suggest you handing money to homeless, but handing them something that is tangible, because having discernment and knowing the drug culture, if you give them money, what are they going to do? They're gonna, you're actually now enabling them. So that's that fine line. And again, we have to come back to discernment. We have to come back to discernment. And, if, and, and so uh, enough said of that because we're, we're going to need to move on to the parable because then Jesus told him a parable. He says, how can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. 
Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself cannot see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Could you imagine a, a rude and selfish and prideful co-worker come to you and say, Cindy, I'd like to take you out for lunch and tell you about all your faults. Oh, goody, right? The primary point of the parable, of course, is that the sin of the critic is much greater than the sin of the person that needs correction. And that's the whole point. This is where it gets the rubber meets the road about attitude towards self or yourself, and that is you have to examine your life because self-righteousness is a very blinding sin. Can you say yes to that? Yes. Self-righteous people, they, they want to be the lawgiver according to their standard. They want to be the police and they want to be the judge. But uh, we've already discussed this. Only God can do that. Only God can judge people righteously uh, I, this is in my notes, but I think I should share it with you, okay? Back in Paradise, California, there was a man named Ed Stinson. And uh, Ed started to come to church, and he'd been out of prison. And, you know, he's just a, a, a colorful, rough guy, okay? And I knew that he was trying to, he was really working on his sobriety, really working hard. And um, I knew his backstory, okay? So I had. God just gave me a lot of compassion for, for Ed. And uh, the hospital calls, and, he, and they said, hey, are you his pastor? I said, yeah. And they said, well, he's in the ER, and his blood limit is like five times past alcohol poisoning. We do not know why he is alive. So I went there, and oh, man, he was, he was conscious. But I, you know, they showed me his chart, and I'm like, I don't know how he's alive. And everybody in that room had disdain for him. It was just sad. I had to share with them. I said, well, you know, he had an older brother that grew up during the 60s. And he, his older brother thought it was fun to shoot heroin into his seven-year-old bro brother. And this man was a heroin addict from the age 8 to 21. His veins got so bad that it, he, he, he switched to alcohol. And now he's in his 40s. He's desperately trying to find the Lord. They were ashamed. See, they were sitting in condemnation of a man, and they didn't know his back. How dare we judge other people, condemn other people, not give them mercy and not give them grace, not give them forgiveness when we don't know each other's backstories, but God does. And then it says, Jesus says, when he says, a, uh, a disciple is not above his teacher, he's like saying, are you above Jesus? Even when you're fully trained, you're not gonna judge like you're judging now, the people around you. So wipe away the blindness. Get rid of the blindness. 
And this word notice, go back to the text really quick. Verse 41, it says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice. And this word means continuous meditation. Ser an idea of serious meditation, of looking at your own life in the light of our beautiful Savior. And why do we hide from Jesus sometimes? Because the light exposes our ugliness. Our, am I right? And we, we want to do something about that. Now, that's, here's the fill in the blank that we're talking about. Attitude adjustment, judge yourself, and it's internal. It's internal. And, and the difference is between a fault finder and a counselor. A counselor says, I want to help you discover what needs to be worked on in your life. That's discernment. A fault finder says, I'm judging you. We are called to be counselors. We're called to be, to, to be discerning. And when we see our brother as a brother, then we're all on the same level, right? Did you notice that in the text? A brother. And uh, actually in Galatians 6.1, it says, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of haughtiness, new, no. Attitude? No. It says in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so all confront, uh, confrontation of sin in others must be done out of, be, out of uh, meekness, not pride. We can't play the role of judge. We cannot have the superior attitude, I'm better than you. And we can't play the hypocrite. And we have to say, am I a judge or a counselor? And if you can get in your mind that you're a counselor, you're going to approach everything a little bit differently. Now we got to move on because we're running short. Number three is this. You need to examine yourself externally. Externally. And let me back up for just a moment. Have you ever had those 3 a.m. sit on the edge of your bed, come to Jesus meetings? That's what he's doing, and, and he's counseling you. He's not condemning you. Jesus is not going to condemn you. You are his child. He wants to raise you. He may discipline you, but he is going to counsel you, and sometimes those counseling appointments are tough, right? Because he's telling you what the, the, the real is. And so that's that internal examination. That can happen during communion. It could happen when you're out at Dripping Springs. It could happen in the stillness of, of a morning. And that is God is always counseling you because the Holy Spirit is known as what? The counselor. And he's, he's giving you discernment to see the log that's in your own eye. Not so that you're perfect, but so that you can then help other people, right? Your wife, your kids, especially, yeah. Again, a, a, an umpire calls balls and strikes, but he doesn't call the game. Uh, let's get on to the last one. Judge yourself, and then it's external. And fruit, he's talking about these fruit trees. He says, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each true, tree is known by its fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Let me just say it this way. Fruit is always true to character. The fruit that is in your life is always true to character, what is actually inside you. 
And I, the, so it does pose a question, is there good fruit in your life? And sometimes we look at uh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And we like some of them, but we're not so good in others. And that's, that's okay if God's still working on that. But is there fruit in your life? And if there is the bad kind of fruit, then we have a problem. Say amen. Okay. You, 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 the, walking with the Lord is not a game. Okay? This is life. This is real life. This is temporal. This is imaginary. Our life is hidden in Christ. And so we have to be honest with ourselves and say, do I have fruit in my life? You know those Christians that they come to the Lord when they're seven and then they're 77 and there's no change. There's a problem. There, but when you see, I get to go to Oklahoma this week and, and participate in my aunt's funeral. Boy, what a godly woman. What a godly woman. And it is a joy. It's going to be a joy to do her service. Because she went from this little girl to this magnificent, beautiful lover of Christ. And, that, and, and, and so you just, it's going to be so easy to do a celebration of life because there's so much stinking fruit. Are you with me on that? It's just going to be fun. It's going to be a party. It's going to be delightful. But is there fruit in your life? Is there fruit in your life? Because we are called to be salt and light, and that is a, another uh, uh, synonym. You know, are, are you... Are you impacting? Are you, are you making a change in your little world that you operate in? And maybe we need to have an attitude adjustment if we're not there yet. And whatever is coming out of your mouth is a good indication of what is in the heart. But here's the good news, because it's always good to talk about good news. And that is the power of Jesus Christ living in you trumps all things. There has to be that surrender. And there has to be honesty. He knows you. He knows what you look like naked. Sorry for that image. <laughs> but he does. But he sees deep, drills down deep to your very core, to your very spirit, to your very soul. And he doesn't throw you under the bus. He does not kick you to the curb. He says, I can handle that. I can deal with that. Just be willing, be yielded. And that's why we have those deep conversations with, this, with the Lord when the sun is setting and it's still finally, or in the middle of the night, whenever it's quiet enough for him to get your attention. And that's good news. He loves you so much that he wants to change you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for today. Man, we covered so much ground. And Lord, I pray that your spirit just talks to our hearts about how this continuous meditation not being self-absorbed but knowing ourselves enough to know where the unclean parts are we've been washed in the blood hallelujah but our feet are dirty jesus said and we come to have you wash our feet so that we may be white as snow. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.